0: I'm Sam. I'm David. And this is Trafe.
1: Welcome back to Trafe, the only Jewish podcast that has been condemned by Roseanne Barr.
0: Um, <laughs> it's true. Check the archives. So, David. Yeah. What do we do on this show? Uh, enough messing around, huh? <laughs> We do a lot of things on this show uh, related
1: to the world of Jewish radical-left politics on the continent that we live in, often called North America, thanks to colonialism.
0: I, I understand. We talk to each other, but what else do we do? Uh, well, sometimes we make promises that we don't keep. Listen, David, I think what happens on this show is is fairly collective. When you or I say something, it's kind of like Treif is saying something. I'm going to
1: roll a, a tape here real
0: quick. <laughs> <laughs> but dear listeners, I will give you Sam's guarantee that we will have an episode out once a month for the next couple months. What is Sam's guarantee? If we do not put an episode out every month for the next couple of months, David, That's two months? people can send me an email and I will reward them in some way.
1: All this is to say that it's been more than a month since our last episode. And Sam, I believe there are some people who are
0: uh, owed a guarantee. Can I tell you something, David? My idea was to maybe record you telling a joke and sending it to them. <laughs> Do you have any you jokes did not
1: even mention this idea to me
0: listen I didn't mention to you but I thought about it and I was planning to ask you at some point David do you have any jokes off the top of your head I didn't really prepare any jokes uh, stay tuned the jokes should be coming in your inbox in the next four to eight months well fool me once shame on you Sam <laughs> so David what do we do on this podcast. We already did this bit. The bit kind (laughs) of got cut off by your desire to tell people that I've broken promises. So
1: So on the show, we usually talk with people. We have conversations uh, about questions that we think are relevant to be considered, to be talked about, specifically from the lens of sort of radical left uh, Jewish milieu. So David, what are we doing on this podcast today? So one, one of the things that we have done in the past on the show is that we are constantly in search of Jewish leftist radio that we can play archives of on the show. and Because often there's a bit of a broken bridge in between generations of the Jewish left.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's two principal reasons why we do it. The first, like David just mentioned, learning from people who came before us. And the second is that oftentimes these people have talk to people who are no longer alive. And it's fairly useful to use archives from 30 years ago to be able to listen to people who were living 30 years ago. So over the past
1: year or two, we've we've been trying to get a hold of some old archives of a radio show called Beyond the
0: Pale. They were on WBAI Pacifica between 1995 and 2014, so almost 20 years. And David, what was a principal claim to fame? I think they describe themselves as the only leftist Jewish program, either on TV or radio,
1: dealing with politics for that two-decade period. And they have more of their recent archives online, but there are some older shows that we were recently able to get a hold of thanks to the Tamiment Museum.
0: Yeah, I'd like to give a massive shout out or shout out to Timothy V. Johnson at the Tamiment Museum, who responded to my many emails and eventually sent us a huge trove of archives. So thank you so much, Timothy. But before releasing these archives,
1: we wanted to sit down with some of the people that were behind the project and talk a bit about what it was like, how things are different today, and and how they feel about the legacy of the show looking back.
0: And after a series of emails and telephone conversations, we were able to get in touch with two of the show's hosts, Esther Kaplan and Marilyn Kleinberg-Niemark. So
1: without further ado, this is your episode of Trafe for the 27th of Elul 5778.
0: I
2: think one of us has to start. Um, I'm Marilyn klamberg Nemark, and I was, since mid-1995, the co-host with Esther Kaplan of Beyond the Pale, the Progressive Jewish Radio Hour on WBAI in New York. I'm a retired faculty member from the City University of New York, where I taught at Baruch College in the business school. And my most recent project is called Facing the Nakba, and it's a curriculum that's available at the Jewish Voice for Peace website.
3: And I'm Mr. Kaplan. It feels a uh, gold home week to be on the phone with you saying that, Mary. Mer- <laughs> After all those Sunday mornings together, I am an investigative journalist. I, I run an investigative reporting project called the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute these days. And for many, many, many years, Marilyn and I spent our weekends together doing this show.
1: Well, thanks so much to both of you for taking the time to talk with us. I know it was a bit complex to uh, logistically figure out since you're both in very different locales at the moment, but we really appreciate it.
3: Well, we appreciate your interest in the show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess where we want to start is near or around the beginning of the show. Can you give folks a sense of how it came together, who were the players involved at the beginning, and, and kind of what you were both trying to do?
3: So the show aired on WBAI and it came about because BAI did a lot of live call-ins and it was having issues with a lot of anti-Semitic statements going out over the airwaves. And there was concern among some of the producers at the station, particularly Jewish producers, that those statements weren't being properly challenged in some cases by hosts and that there needed to be some kind of counter voice on the air that was presenting progressive Jewish perspectives. And so the station manager then, one of the most effective station managers in the, the history of the station, had reached out to what was then the aging team running Jewish Currents magazine, and Henry Foner was on the editorial board at that time. So he and, and Morris Schapbe's Uh, began a weekly radio program there, but it was really hard for them to keep up the relentless pace. And so they approached Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, where I was working at the time about possibly taking over the show. So Melanie K. Kantrowitz, who was the director of J. Fridge at the time, and I went in to meet with Samori Marksman and with the then program director, Mario Murillo. And they signed us up for, I think, a three-month pilot, and then it just kept rolling from there. And from the very beginning, I think the idea was to be critical when necessary of the organized Jewish community, to highlight the presence of Jews within social movements, to bring progressive Jewish perspectives to the key issues of the day, that People needed to hear that there was a robust and complex and lively argument within the Jewish community about how to think about these issues and that there was a strong progressive voice on them. And I would say it was also always also about finding usable progressive Jewish history, conveying that to people who needed that
2: knowledge and were hungry for that knowledge you know, for example, I remember Esther, I joined the show maybe three months in when, when Melanie took a teaching job. And because I had been doing a show on BI called Econo News, which is a sort of progressive take on contemporary business events, uh, it occurred to Esther and Melanie that maybe I'd be a good person to step in to co-host with Esther. But I remember Esther, we, for example, we did a lot of letting listeners know about the Bund. And yep. the history of the Bund and the concept of dojkot, of hereness, of being mm-hmm. progressive and activist in your community as opposed to moving to Palestine.
3: Right. And Jewish labor history and Jewish feminist history. And, I mean, I think we very early on had shows about Jewish sex workers. Um, you know, we were always pushing against the politics of respectability, I would say.
1: I know that when uh, we started our show, it really felt like there wasn't anything in the Jewish media landscape resembling our political orientation and perspective. And I'm wondering how it felt being in New York at that time of how Beyond the Pale fit into a Jewish media landscape or how it felt.
2: So when we began the show, as far as I know, and for most of the life of the show, maybe for the entire life of the show, there was really... Nothing in the progressive Jewish media landscape but this show. And even among those who were, say, liberal, we, we were still touching on topics, particularly Israel-Palestine, that were pretty much beyond the pale at, at the time, and even perhaps today would be as well.
3: But also, these perspectives, even within, let say, the Jewish Forward or other Jewish publications, many of these perspectives were not even allowed onto the editorial page of these publications. It's not just that there weren't other progressive Jewish outlets. It's that those voices were quite silenced. And the activist landscape was also far less robust than it is now. Jay Fridge kind of stood alone. So that voice was missing in a variety of ways, not even just in the media landscape. And then another, I think, important point to make is that as much as our show and your show, I think, are deeply kindred in their missions, that one thing that was different about Beyond the Pale is that we were speaking to the WBAI listenership, which was extremely diverse. And so... That listenership certainly included some Jewish listeners, but it was not primarily a Jewish listenership. It was primarily a black and Latino listenership, actually. And so we were injecting these conversations and these progressive Jewish perspectives into a broad spectrum of the New York City left. And some of our most devoted listeners and routine contributors to the show we're not Jewish, but we're extremely grateful to have that perspective on issues of race in New York and issues of Palestine. And just to have that counter perspective was just such a breath of fresh air to so many people outside the Jewish community. And I think that was one of the things that was probably most surprising and delightful about our time on the air
0: there. Have you ever thought about how the show would have been different if the focus was more explicitly on the Jewish community and not the broader WBAI audience.
3: I don't think we pulled our punches on getting deep into internal issues within the Jewish community. I mean, Marilyn, I'm thinking of when we covered the feminist movement within the Orthodox movement, for example, which is a very inside baseball kind of story, But on the other hand, I think we were always very conscious to be translating all of that. We didn't assume our listeners understood that there was an orthodox and a conservative and a reform and a reconstruction movement within Judaism. There can be a very internal kind of dynamic in the Jewish community where everyone almost talks in code, and you easily feel like an outsider for not understanding the alphabet soup of organizations, and that kind of translation work did cut through that and make the show accessible To a broad range of Jews and non-Jews.
1: Yeah, I mean, one one thing that we were we were sort of talking about before we started the interview was uh, just how many people were involved in Beyond the Pale. Um, Like I was reading through the list of regular contributors and hosts on the website before this, and there are many people who have you know who are are no longer with us. Yeah. And Melanie K. Kanchwitz just recently passed away, and I was wondering if maybe you can talk about what it was like working with Melanie and, and some of the other folks who are a part of it as well.
2: I was looking through the spreadsheets that we had mm-hmm. made up for the archives, and I was stunned to see how many of our comrades have been lost. I Me mean, most recently, yeah, it's it's Melanie and, and Michael Ratner, but it, it's really yeah. incredible how many of those people are no longer with us.
3: Yeah. Well, to speak about Melanie in particular, who's, Loss is extremely present for both of us right now. I, She was a co-host only in the first few months, but she she remained on from time to time, mostly doing literary interviews over the years with authors who she admired, and Melanie was always very generous with her admiration and embrace of other writers. But I think that Melanie was someone who really modeled something that I spoke about earlier, which is touching on controversial subjects, she was always someone who, who was ready to stir the pot, pull out the dirty laundry, look at it honestly, air internal debates, air shameful actions by the Jewish community or the organized Jewish community. And I think that that spirit was present throughout the show. I think that that's probably one of the things that Kept people glued to the show, especially in times of crisis. I think you would probably agree, Marilyn, was that we were, we never shied away from being as critical as we needed to be about actions of the Israeli government or actions of the organized Jewish community.
2: You know, I just remembered, Esther, that some years ago there was a conference, something called Junity, which is just one of the early activist groups on Israel Palestine. And Melanie was at that conference, and I think it was there that she got the idea of having Jews reject their right of return, of in in the spirit of burning draft cards back in the Vietnam years, of just sending back your right of return. And that, at the time, was such a heretical thing to do, so that people we thought were allies and were progressive were horrified at the thought of returning their right of return so at the time it didn't go anywhere but there is recently been a a movement like that among um, some of the very progressive young jewish groups
0: and building off that question how does it feel to see a lot of the issues that you engaged with 20 years ago continue to be issues is that is that (laughs) heartening? is that disappointing
2: (laughs) on the one hand I, i don't know about you Esther. on the one hand it's really frustrating. I mean, we've had these conversations before. You know, it seems as if nothing has changed. On the other hand, when you look over the shows that we've done, when we look over the the inventory of shows, one feels incredibly proud to have recognized so many of these issues so many years ago, even if, in fact, things didn't change very much. Um, We had very early shows on the rise of the Christian right. just, Way back, you could see the seeds of Trumpism emerging.
3: And I will also say that there has been progress. You know, I'm thinking about shows that we did about efforts, for example, our very early coverage of BDS before the term BDS existed. Marilyn, you remember the Methodist Church very early on voting to examine, potentially um, removing its investments from Israeli companies. There was a huge backlash against them, and we covered that. And it was such a third rail at that time. And not to say that it isn't now, but there is so much more of a public debate and conversation on this front, and such a range of institutions beginning to consider these kinds of steps that it really is if not light years away from what it was, at least a few
2: big strides away from where we were, so do not give up hope and and, and performers and and activists are much more open in their rejection of um, travel to Israel than they were you know fifteen years ago. I mean we hear all the time now about some awardee of a prize in Israel who chooses not to take it or who takes it and then sends the money to uh, Palestine solidarity organizations of one sort or another.
3: Yeah.
1: I'm also interested because, you know, you talked earlier about the role that Jewish Currents had in starting the show. And uh, we recently had the new editor of Jewish Currents, who is a lot younger than the previous people who, Uh who have been working on Jewish Currents. And there's a bit of a changing of the guard happening there right now. Um, which yeah. I think is symbolic of a broader changing of the guard that's happening in the Jewish left. And one of the things that we were talking about were the the differences in the political approach and the political priorities, uh, if, if we can talk about there being a, a generational political difference. And the, the two issues that seemed like they're the most at the forefront were Palestine and also uh, questions of capitalism. And I'm curious how you've seen over the time you're doing the show, and and, and since then, how you've seen conversations about these two issues change in the Jewish community, or even just on the Jewish left?
3: Well, you know, that old generation of Morris Schapke and Henry Foner, who were actual communists or communist sympathizers and radical labor union leaders, I mean, they were having those radical conversations about capitalism. And then I think there was, a generation or two in the middle that stepped back from that. And so I think, you know, in that sense, we've come full circle, and there's probably a lot more kinship between a younger generation now and, and that older generation that, whose loss we mourn every day. <laughs> um, I, Marilyn and I were maybe functioning as a bridge between those generations,
1: a lot has happened in the specific milieu that you are sort of covering for the show. I wonder if the ground has changed so much politically that you find yourself in a different space or talking about things differently. I guess what I'm wondering is if you were hosting the show now, do you think it would look a lot different? Do you think it would be a very different thing?
3: Hmm. I mean, what do you think? Every once in a while, Marilyn and I ping each other about a piece of news and say, "Oh my God, I wish we were going on the air this weekend to talk about this." <laughs> right. <laughs> Certainly, we never shied away from covering anti-Semitic outbreaks when we considered them serious threats. Mostly, I would say, while we were on the air, that included incidents in Europe. And we would also be critical of things being framed as anti-Semitism that we didn't see as anti-Semitic, you know, where anti-Semitism was being used as a dodge to suppress conversation about Israel and Zionism, for example. But this current flowering of anti-Semitism in the United States, the revival of neo-Nazism and of global Jewish conspiracies of control by by bankers and elites that proliferate on the internet and um, in the highest halls of power at this point. I mean, I I really do sometimes regret not being on the air to really dig into that and tackle that and cover it on a regular basis and absolutely explain its roots and explain its dangers. Much of our coverage of the far right when we were on the air was of the Christian right, which is still a potent force. But this white nationalist, white supremacist turn, both at home and in Europe, I mean, we always had wonderful correspondents who would come on the air to talk about the European far right, but I feel like the current global backlash against immigrants and the rise of nativism globally, we would have been well-positioned to confront in the context of our previous years of coverage
2: and it would be great to be in the mix on that now. I would add to that, Esther, you know, we were always very critical of Netanyahu, but the affinity between the current Israeli government, and Netanyahu and Lieberman and so on to clearly anti-Semitic regimes such as in Hungary and to the far right is way beyond where it was when we were last on the air. And we'd certainly be talking about that today.
0: Well, I have to say, if either of you want to dust off your microphones at any point and uh, record something, <laughs> we would be more than happy to have it on our show.
3: <laughs> we, we will
2: see what we you ask about for. That. Sweet. <laughs>
0: Um Are there any particular conversations that stand out? I know, I know it's a big question, but when you think about who you spoke with, is there any one or two conversation that, just comes to mind right now, and, and, and why is that?
3: Hmm. Well, one that comes to mind for me, Maryland, is Ayad Suraj. Oh, yes, yes. Who's I no longer with us. Someone whose loss is greatly mourned. was a mental health specialist working with children in Gaza, and I feel like those interviews were, I mean, we covered the atrocities by the Israeli government, year in and year out, and yet when he would talk about what children were experiencing in Gaza and how it was shaping their bodies and minds and futures, it, even thinking about it now was just profound to hear. Yeah.
2: And I think, too, not, not on that scale, but we did, we did two programs about activist families. One was about the phoners, and also the Kagans and the way these families kept alive their radical traditions was very inspiring to me, for sure. And I'm thinking too, Esther, of the show you mostly produced about the conflicts in Ocean Hill, Brownsville that we aired. Um, I think Trace. It's one of the shows you've gotten copies of.
1: Yep. They it. were asking specifically for those, actually.
2: Yeah. Poor production quality, but rich historical
3: value. And actually, a lot of the people I interviewed for that are are no longer living, amazingly.
1: Well, we super appreciate you both taking this time to talk with us. And we hope that through airing the archives of Beyond the Pale that, you know, this younger generation can get more familiar with that history and more familiar with the conversations. We both super appreciate all the years of work with the show and can't wait to share it to, uh, to a new audience.
2: Thank you both.
0: independent jewish voices canada just wanted to give you all a heads up that igv will be hosting a big conference and general members meeting in toronto this october 12th to 14th to celebrate 10 years of solidarity for justice in palestine we've got loads of inspiring speakers lined up including palestinian canadian lawyer diana butu rebecca Vilcomerson of jewish voice for peace toronto writer aziza kanji mark Tseng putterman of the jews of color and mizrahi caucus and hannah gold from judas in the uk there will also be some amazing interactive workshops on topics including justice-oriented Judaism, culture jamming, and BDS campaigning. For more info or to register, go to ijvcanada.org. Wishing you all a shanatovah and a wonderful 5779. fuck the queen and especially fuck prince philip it's time for shkoiach shkoiach bienvenue a shkoiach welcome to shkoiach the world-renowned trife podcast segment sam yes david what is your shkoiach david what do we do on shkoiach why you're stalling here sam <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just trying to continue the bit from the first part of the show where we talked about what is this podcast about?
1: <laughs> the bit where you keep asking what the podcast is.
0: <laughs>
1: so uh, maybe
0: you tell us your shkoyach. I'd be glad to. I'd be honored to. I'm actually really excited about today's shkoyach. Um, I'd like to give my shkoyach to the folks who are participating in the prison strike. Double shkoyach. So a treif seal of approval shkoyach. To all the people inside who are on strike right now, just sh- shout out to everyone involved.
1: So who who is it that you're giving your square to? Like, what's going on with the strike?
0: So, David, I'm going to start with the temporal aspect of the strike. It's uh, three weeks long. It's bookended by two really important events. Uh, The first one is the 47th anniversary of the death of George Jackson, who's a really important figure in militant left history, particularly black history, but across the board. Um, If you don't know who George Jackson is, you have a lot of homework to do right now. Go check out who George Jackson is. So that was the 21st of August when the strike started. And it's planning to go until the 9th of September, which is going to be both the date of Rosh Hashanah this year and the anniversary of the Attica uprising.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of important history about prison resistance, so I highly recommend uh, getting more familiar with.
0: With the homework section of the Shkoyach done, um, folks inside different prisons, because communication is not easy, are engaging in a series of actions, including hunger strikes, sit-ins, broadly demanding changes to the prison system in the United States and to a smaller extent in Canada. Organizers have put out a list of 10 demands, They include things like instituting policies that recognize the humanity of people who are who are inside, call for an end to prison slavery, uh, ensure that folks who are inside are given access to rehabilitative programs, to restore voting rights to folks who are inside and to end death by incarceration. The principal venue to get news and information about this strike is the Prison Lawyers Speak social media accounts, mostly Twitter, I think Facebook as well. And we will have a laundry list of links in the show notes, so please check that out, do your homework, and once again, a massive schcoeur to the folks who are inside doing this resisting, and to all the folks outside who are providing integral support, communication, etc. So, ginormous schcoeur, and a side to the folks in Montreal who have put up pretty fantastic prison 2018 strike posters across the city.
1: Yeah, and also to uh, the prison radio show that's also based out of CKUT that covers prison resistance. People working for it both inside and out. I'll have a link to their show if you're looking to sort of immerse yourself in the history of this resistance that this is coming out of.
0: Okay, I don't really know how to change gears here. Um, Let's all take a breath. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a kind of dwelling, look outside. If you're on a vehicle, maybe look to the side unless you're driving. If you're in a bad situation, just close your eyes
1: and think of something nice.
0: Okay, so David, positive square, hit me. So recently,
1: we were lucky enough to receive what was described as a leaked email that was accidentally sent to a whole bunch of people, including TravePodcast at gmail.com. And it arrived from the Judas Collective.
0: Shout out to the Judas Collective. I actually saw the email. It came today, so fourth wall. We are recording on the day that the email came. I saw it, but did not read it.
1: It is one of the funniest things. It is essentially minutes from a meeting that the Judas Collective had, and just gives you a bit of an insight into the process uh,
0: that goes on behind the scenes at Judas. David, could you give me a little taste of of what that email sounded like?
1: So one of the headings was uh, undermining the Jewish Chronicle, uh, and it says, sales are continuing to fall, but not fast enough. (laughs) Then there's a heading called destroying the nuclear family. Um, There's also a report back from a working group who had met with a comrade repeatedly mispronouncing the word bagel, They also uh, had discussions about the Judas Goy of the Year Awards and who would receive it. Number seven headed Revolution. And it just said, please note that the date for the revolution has been pushed back again to the 14th of November, as Robin has a dentist appointment on the original date. (laughs) So shkoyak to Judas for always being so much funnier than us and sending us emails that make us consistently think, why didn't we think of that?
0: So that's your Trave podcast for today. Episode 39. It's Rosh Hashanah in two or three days, depending on when you listen to this, but it's two or three days from when we release it. Um, what are you getting at, Sam? I think I'm stalling at this point, probably. <laughs> yeah, for what? I don't know. David, what's what's on your mind in terms of sharing with our listeners? Just
1: seconding Happy New Year to anyone listening. If anyone's holding a Yom Kippur ball this year, please let us know. We'd love to talk about it. It always warms my heart to hear that that's still happening.
0: And then I guess this is the point in the show where we suggest that you leave a positive review on iTunes, you send us an audio recording so that we can play it in the middle of the show, usually about a minute, start with your name, where you're at, what you want to tell us about. You listened to the show before, you have a good sense of what they're normally about.
1: And if you know of any archives of leftist Jewish audio of any kind, please let us know. We're always looking for more archives to share with our listeners. And you can look forward to hearing some from Beyond the Pale in the near future.
0: Treyf Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CQT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ghanagahaga territory. He's using that weird voice again.
1: Um, Thanks to everyone who helps make the podcast happen. Thanks again to folks at the TAMMIT Museum. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at Treyf Podcast, T-R-E-Y-F. And you can always send comments, suggestions, hate mail, or if you just want to say hi to TravePodcast at gmail.com.
0: More episodes soon. the pale which incidentally was a name of a jewish group that i wanted to start about 10 years ago until i found out that beyond the pale the radio show existed and felt like it was already taken yeah i got schooled it was gonna be a hand holding a potato you know what it was gonna be like a raised fist holding a potato
1: is that the food not bombs logo oh no it's holding a beat i think i think it's the people's potato logo